As part of an ongoing series brought to you by the Clean Energy Resource Teams, featuring perspectives from clean energy leaders in Minnesota, we had a chance to sit down with Crystal Porter, founder and executive director of Minnesota Renewable Now, a nonprofit working to advance renewable energy in the North Minneapolis Green Zone and beyond. In our conversation, we discuss how Crystal and her team have adapted their community-based programming in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic, how the organization's Solstar project is working to increase access to residential solar in North Minneapolis, and what other communities across Minnesota can learn from this work. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy listening. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today, Crystal. Uh, to start, and for some context for our listeners, could you share with us uh, a bit about your background, your role at MN Renewable Now, and what drew you to this work? I actually am the founder of MN Renewable Now. Kind of started with a lot of conversation around my passion and my vocation to start to get folks in my community and my network to really start to think about um, how we were going to get our energy moving forward. And so I found I founded MN Renewable Now in about 2018 in December, but it has been something that's been going on for quite a while, <laughs> even before that. We became official at that time. And the main reason why I did it was because I noticed that I was, so I, at the time I was an executive director of a neighborhood association in North Minneapolis. And it's funny because I spent so much of my time on environmental issues. So, you know, a neighborhood association is a place-based organization. They focus on all of the different issues that are important to the community at the time. Um, and so it could be anything, anything that you could think of. And I noticed that a lot of the, the grants that I was applying for and a lot of the things that I was more focused on was always environmental issues. And the way that I wrote these grants kind of like poured out my heart onto these grants through the narratives. I was getting those grants. And so I started to go, you know, am I in the right place? You know, um, what is my calling? And I went to Augsburg College and one of our, the main theme was what's your vocation? What's your calling? It's just, it's interesting because whenever it's, um, I'm in a, a situation that's, we're talking about environmental issues, climate change, my ears perk up, I get excited, um, I get inspired. You know, I had to really start asking myself, what is it that I need to be doing while I'm here on this planet? Why am I here? What's the purpose? And so if that was the thing that's always got me excited and that was the thing that always pushed me to, to keep going and, and work harder, then that's what I need to be doing. So I, I chose to start the nonprofit MN Renewable Now. Even though I've been doing the work for a very, very long time in my own personal life, I said, you know, I need to like make this a job. I need to um, be able to focus my 100% my of my time. So I organized it, uh, put together a board and, and here we are today. But I would say the things that inspired me as a young child, my, my mom actually just recently said, Crystal, you are a little too independent when you were younger. <laughs> And she's like, I never knew where you were. <laughs> I was like seven, eight years old on my bike. Um, and on those long bike ride trips and walks, I was always picking the nature trail. I would cut through the woods to get to where I wanted to go instead of going around the, the, the street and following the path. I never 
ever spent time in on man-made structures. I was always in nature. And when I did that, I, I developed this deep relationship and respect for all living things. I just, it was just a weird relationship that I don't feel like happened with my other six siblings. And probably because I just was always in nature and I just have this deep love for it. And because of it, some of my favorite shows were like Captain Planet. And that, you know, shaped me and molded me and inspired me to, to um, do the work that I am doing now. Wonderful. I guess to follow up on that, where did you see energy work being, being so important into, into that pivot? So that pi- the pivot was because I had this deep love for the environment, I started to understand that we had to do things to protect that and understanding how all things were connected indirectly and directly. When I first found out that we had a climate issue, it was when I watched The Inconvenient Truth. Probably dating myself a little bit here, but when I watched The Inconvenient Truth, it blew my mind. And it made me realize that this is something that really could be an issue. And then I, I, I did my own research and my own, I, I educated myself on these issues. And I started to realize that, yeah, this is a big issue. And, and my, the way my personality is, if I see an issue, then I say, I try to figure out what's the, what's the quickest way that we can get to the solution. And what is the biggest issue within that issue that's causing this issue? And so my first, you know, response to that was, well, how, where do we get our energy? How can we change that around? All of us turn on lights in our homes, expect things to work. We heat our homes, we get in our cars and we drive, and we're all dependent on this, all of us, everyone. And so I don't see that it changing anytime soon. Unless everybody was just woke up tomorrow and was like, all right, we're going to go back to living off the land and off the grid, and which would be a dream for me. I would be totally fine with that. But the majority of folks would be like, no, that's not happening. So how do we harness our energy in a renewable way? So that was really my, my big thing was that was the biggest issue. I've definitely done a lot of work around water conservation and soil, but energy is my biggest passion because that is the big, big issue that's increasing this, this, the pace of, of climate change right now. That's, that's why I went into the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as we think about those big issues and this question around how you're feeling about the state of clean energy in Minnesota in these times and just thinking about climate of the public health crises of COVID and even systemic racism. I mean, your organization's fairly new and you're jumping right into navigating all of these things. And so curious how how you're feeling with that weight of all of these things. Well, like I, I feel terrible about 2020, to be honest. I feel like we were robbed as a people when it comes to this year's legislative session. I feel like the, I was really, really excited. It was, it was uh, the end of February, when I walked with about 15 youth to the Capitol, um, along with MNIPL and Climate Gen, Will Steger's group, and we all did some amazing lobbying and met with legislatures uh, around the Green New Deal. And because of the situation with COVID, something that I never thought I would see was a large amount of democratic legislators that killed the possibility of that even passing this year. 
And the reason being is they were worried about the financial status of our state. We didn't know what was gonna come from this situation, how bad it was gonna affect the economy, how bad it still is affecting the economy, but they just, they couldn't, they didn't feel comfortable with letting this pass because of the unknown, you know? And the Green New Deal was, um, it was a good, way to combat the issues that we got going on right now. It, it had things like job training for people of color. They had a fossil fuel facility construction moratorium, you know, and that was like a way to stop the building of new plants that required fossil fuel burning of any kind. And then um, the greenhouse gas reduction strategy, and that was pushing energy efficiency, incentivizing power storage, electrifying sectors of the economy that powered fossil fuels. So like, it would have been so amazing for something like that to pass. So like, when I think about my community and living in North Minneapolis, if you took like an aerial shot of North Minneapolis and like you were able to color code like the black residents in shades of like red or blue, the darker the shade of the red or the blue, the closer you get to manufacturing facilities, such as the two roof shingle, shingle companies that are situated in North Minneapolis, right in the green zone. You know, and, and when you think of that, you go, okay, well, there's no, it's not a surprise that North Minneapolis has the highest hospital rates for asthma and for chronic bronchitis and things like that. So when I think about that in relation to COVID-19, I go, well, it's not a surprise that Blacks are the highest, have the highest rate of COVID-19 related deaths. It's not, not surprising because it's not like North Minneapolis is unique to any other Black neighborhood in any other state. If you look at Black neighborhoods all over the country, they're usually situated near an incinerator, industrial waste, and manufacturing facilities. You know, it, it was just kind of planned out. The city was planned out that way. So... Yeah, it, does, it, does, it definitely makes me nervous, and it's very disheartening. One of the things that was in the Green New Deal was not calling the HERC, which is the Hennepin County incinerator, where they burn the trash in North Minneapolis for the entire Hennepin County, not to call it renewable energy. Because when you have something labeled as renewable energy, then there's, you know, subsidies you know, connected to that. And there's also even the feeling of, oh, wow, it's renewable. And it's not, it's just not. And, and especially when you're talking about the effects that it's having on the community directly around it. So that would have been a nice win. And now we're like, I feel like we, we, we rewinded back 20, 30 years uh, this year when it comes to the forward momentum that we had going on when it came to addressing the climate change issue. Yeah, it's, it's hard to recognize just how much has shifted in these times. And, and yet I recognize that there are a lot of things that you've been active on since it sounds like that time. And I'm curious how, um, or how, how did you adapt or shift in your approach to your work in holding both of those things? But I really do appreciate and, and hold that that frustration. And well, I would say we're definitely spending less time in the streets or focusing on more online methods. <laughs> but I will say that in the beginning of this pandemic, we really 
took to the streets in a in a special way. I was definitely like down in the dumps about this year. We were actually supposed to be throwing the first um, renewable energy and um, conservation fair that ever took place in North Minneapolis before. And um, that was supposed to take place on April 4th of this year. And we had many um, vendors and sponsors and we were ready to roll. And then this thing hit. And it was very disheartening because I felt like this was a great opportunity to bring a lot of the the movers and the shakers and in in that that space to come into North Minneapolis and also for North Minneapolis residents to come and learn and there was a lot of people really excited about attending that and um, but what we did was we started off by going okay well what can we do right now because now we don't have any of the funding coming in from the renewable energy fair uh, things are being held off what can we do and so we joined or we co-started a group with many people all over the city of Minneapolis um, called the Family of Trees. We focused on if we can't do too much right now, especially when it comes to like public dollars, because we are a nonprofit around renewable energy because a lot of the funding pools were just frozen. Um, what is what is a way that we can still do our part? And so we focused on mitigation, the sequestration of uh, carbon out of the air through trees, planting trees. And so we threw a concert in my backyard. <laughs> we set up a stage, we did a whole concert on the Earth Day, and we had, you know, really well-known artists um, that performed, and we did a concert, and in between songs, I did a... Um, a teaching on stratification, how to stratify tree seeds. And then we ended up giving away trees to the community. So people would show up during this live concert and grab a tree and we'd give them a, a certificate and say, here, you know, plant your tree wherever. <laughs> and we actually were able to, as a group, plant about 3,000 trees in North Minneapolis this year. So that was one amazing endeavor that we were able to do. But one thing that since we had to shift our priority, we had a renewable now con um, conference, leadership conference for youth planned this year. That obviously was not going to happen. So since we didn't have that, we started to think bigger. At first, we focused on like ways that we could partner um, with others who were already doing um, the work. But now we've been able to like start thinking about how we're going to start doing the work um, that others are doing instead of waiting around for public dollars and funding to be available and waiting around for our state legislator to pass a new green deal, more so partnering with the, the, the for-profit sector and investors so that we could start actually just going ahead and just moving forward and doing the work and um, trying to move our community into a renewable energy space. To maybe speak a little more specifically about what what you're fundraising for and what you're sort of interested in seeing happen on the ground. I'm familiar and was looking at your website and the Solstar project being this sort of vision of getting solar into onto homes, residential um, investments, and curious what the vision for that project is, the nuts and bolts of it, and but yeah. maybe talk about that project. Yeah, what we're doing now, um, I mean, there's a, there's a few different projects, yeah, that we had to put off, like I said, the Renewable Now Leadership Conference, which, you know, 
thanks to certs we were we're able to to put on and we're going to be pushing that to spring of 2021 because we need some time um, this school year to engage the youth in order to get them there and we still don't know what that's going to look like this school year i mean right now it's distance learning but who knows what's happening second semester hopefully maybe we can figure out a way to get the kids back in school and then um and then our renewable now energy fair is going to be pushed all the way till August of next year. And we're looking at outdoor spaces such as um, North Commons Park, taking over the whole park and having um, different demonstrations out there, which actually would be really good for, you know, solar demonstrations anyway, uh, to have them outside. So I'm really hopeful about that um, happening and being successful. But the thing that we're working on now, which doesn't require social distancing um is a it's it's the soul star project and and what that is is a um a project that's um building racial equity through renewable energy and when we talk about renewable energy we most people usually think okay solar panels right especially when it comes to like people's ability to participate so like they envision a solar panel on their roof or their garage or somewhere and and they can generate electricity and lower their electric bill. The issue with that is if you talk to any solar um, installer, any company that's doing like residential solar installation and ask them how many of their customers are people of color, they would probably say none <laughs> or one. <laughs> it's not easy to get solar in your home. Um, it can cost up to $30,000. You have to get financing. Um, and that's just not possible for many people in my community. Um, we're already feeling the effects of gentrification, um, which is raising up the property values. We've seen our property taxes go up higher than ever before. So now we're just barely making it and struggling. Um, and especially with COVID, losing jobs, and then also trying to teach our kids at home. We're barely treading or you know treading above water and so the idea of getting the thirty thousand dollars solar installation on our roof is just not even a thing that we're going to even be thinking about but even though we have these distractions of COVID-19 and riots going on in our community the issue of climate change hasn't gone away magically it's still here and it's actually getting worse and so how are we going to be able to help these communities that have the lowest area meeting income in the entire state of Minnesota get $30,000 installations on the roof. So we got together with different folks and we figured out a way. And so what we what we plan to do is we plan to, and we're doing it, um, get investments from from different investors throughout the state of Minnesota and anybody who wants to invest really to raise the money for this project. We have a little over $300,000 already and we're, our goal is 750,000. The investors would invest and then they would get back two and a half percent every year at the end of every year for six to seven years while we own those solar panels that are on top of those rooftops of who we chose. What would happen is after the seven years of receiving all the tax credits at the end of the, every year, and once all of the investors have been paid back, then we would deed those solar panels over to the property owner. We're hoping to find a couple um, commercial properties in North Minneapolis, ones that are very, um, they're next to a lot of activity, 
um, a couple bus lines where lots of people go, like even a corner store, so that people can see the panels on top of the roof. Hopefully a one-story corner store is what I'm looking for and thinking. Uh, it'd have to be owned by the, the store owner. And then we hired a crew. We put together, we shouldn't say hired, we put together an amazing crew. Um, the Solar Dream Team is what I want to call them. Took us all this year, 2020, to actually figure out how we were going to get this work done. And we were determined to make sure that all of the moving pieces of this project are North Minneapolis um, residents. And so the residential contractor is coming out of North Minneapolis and is a Black man. Um, our solar installers are residents of North Minneapolis and are already doing the work for other companies. They happen to be Black. Even our solar assessor, the one that's going to go out and assess the roofs, um, is a trained solar assessor and is a Black man from North Minneapolis. So not just seeing the solar panels sitting on these roofs, but also seeing a group of men that look like the community, I'm hoping brings, sparks conversation, gets people excited, maybe will inspire some youth walking by or some anybody, res residents that are walking by going, hey, I wouldn't mind doing something like that for a living. And just learning. I mean, a lot of people have no idea what, how solar energy works. They might be able to, to have a conversation. It's really exciting. We actually just started. Um, I'm actually going to be releasing the application um, so people will be able to start applying to to get these this installation on their roof. Um, we can only do 24 because if we do 20 or more than 24, then we would have to be registered as a public utility company, which who knows, that might be something we'd end up doing in the future. But for now, we, we want to keep it simple as simple as it can be and um and get these get these roofs covered and and i look at it like okay if you i see i do a lot of door knocking in north minneapolis and and, and uh lit dropping and it's funny because in my brain i know that the average number of homes on each uh block in north minneapolis is 22 homes 22 so essentially we're like addressing the issue of climate change and racial inequities block by block, one block at a time. And of course, it's not going to be just one block at a time. I, it sounds like a beautiful picture to go one block, next block, next block, and just get it, get it done. But slowly, I hope to see like these dots pop up on the map. And my plan is to hopefully make North Minneapolis like a renewable energy mecca, um, a model for the rest of the country. Um, so people could see, you know, your income, your race, um, where you are geographically located or where you were born should not limit your ability to participate in this movement. It really should not. Um, I'm curious at this stage if there's anything else you still need or that you're looking for to help with this vision. And how are you ultimately thinking about measuring success for this project as you go? So obviously more funding <laughs> was needed. We have enough funding to start and that's what's really exciting. And I, I really don't want to get too caught up in like reaching the $750,000. I don't want to get caught up in that. I want to more focus on what we have. We have $300,000. We have that amount. So let's start the engagement. Let's start the solar assessments. Let's start getting solar on these properties and hopefully 
people will see that this work is happening and they'll see that it's working and people will just want to invest in the project. So um, really, obviously, in order to finish the, the end to the end game and, and to reach the end of this project, and this is just one project of many that's going to happen. This is, like I said, 24 at a time. In order to get to that end, we would definitely need to, to fill in the gap when it comes to the funding, but also just spreading the word. You know, I'm not thinking about just us and our project. When it comes to this issue and addressing where we're going to get our energy from, there is no room for competition. <laughs> don't have time for that. We need to be sharing our blueprints and our ideas and the work with anyone that's willing to listen so that others can model it or replicate it. I want people that are listening to this to go, wow, I could do that too and do it in their community too. Because I feel like we can't really wait around for our government to take this issue seriously as a whole because there's just too much division. And this issue is moving rapidly. It's getting worse every day. And the only way that we're gonna be able to, to let our leaders and our decision makers know how we feel is by just moving without them and going, we're just gonna show you what we want and how can we get together as a people and address this issue together? So I'm hoping that, that the people that are listening to this and come across this online or wherever go, wow, this is a great idea. I love this plan. Shares it with their friends, shares it with their family, uh, shares it with the people in their network that are really into this work and really passionate about this work. And hopefully we can see more, more projects like this popping up all over the place so that we can show the public utility company, like, this is what we want. This is what we're demanding. And then when you share it, then hopefully other people will see that our project and, and want to see it happen and want to see it succeed and, and support it and hope that maybe if they pull off a project like this, that it will, it'll succeed as well. Great. So here at uh, Clean Energy Resource Team CERTS, uh, we work throughout the state of Minnesota. What would you like others working on renewable energy or, or in communities across the state to learn or act on in terms of how to approach this work at a community level or in their neighborhoods? Um, that we're, we can't do this alone. Um, nobody can do this work alone. If you want to pull something like this off, it's, it's really about who you get to the table. Like I said, we can't really keep waiting around for some magical solar, wind, hydro fairy to come down from the sky and make everything better. The power or this, this movement did not go away. And it's kind of crazy because this last fall was like one of the most inspiring times of my life. Seeing high school students leave school and marching to the Capitol and demanding our leaders to start focusing on this issue. And when we're seeing these youth making statements and making these demands because they're the ones that are our future. You've got all these adults that are making decisions for them and treating it as if it's like a game of chess. And you've got these young people that are saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, I have to live on this planet much longer than you, you know, and I might want to have a child. So what about them? I don't know. I just feel like with this whole COVID-19 situation, they were all divided. They were all sent home, told to stay inside, and then the movement just almost disappeared. 
but it didn't go away. It's still here. We need to remind ourselves that climate change is only going to get worse if we keep ignoring it and keep brushing it under the rug. You know, even when I've spent time in organizations that focus on the democratic process, and I, I'm not even going to name them, but when I spent time in there and they worked on different issues, whether it be gender issues or racial issues or, you know, economic issues, they also focus on environmental issues. And for some reason, the person that was the director of environmental issues was always dismissed as the, the little stepsister, even when within organizations like that. The green person, the environmental person was always like inside of a glass jar screaming and pounding on it. And nobody's hearing them, even within those spaces. But the crazy thing is, is this is this issue affects everybody on this planet, every living thing, no matter what color you are, where you live geographically, we're all going to affect, be affected by it. And we all have to keep moving. And if you are just as passionate about this issue as I am, don't stop talking about it. Keep talking about it. Keep posting on your social media about it and try to get people that are as passionate about it as you are and that are actually out here doing the work, try to get them together at the same table. And you'd be surprised what you guys might come up with. If you had asked me a year ago, was I going to be working on a project to retrofit 24 rooftops with solar in North Minneapolis? I would have not believed you. I was more focused on let's throw an energy fair. Let's do a, a, a youth conference. Let's um, get people to sign up for WindSource and maybe connect them to a community solar project. You'd be surprised if you, if you got the people you know in your network, if you scrolled to your phone or your email or your Facebook and seen the people you're connected to, you'd be surprised what you might be able to accomplish. So I just, I really hope that people take away from this um, the ability to dream and to not be limited by what, you know, what obstacles are in the way. Don't think about it. What can we do? What can we get done together? Uh, what might be next for you and with others? It seems like that's a big part of your work, but I'm curious how, how you're approaching sort of maybe what's on the horizon in this work. Next steps is, you know, I'd really like to look into the state of Minnesota's ability to power off of hydro off of water. We have the Mississippi running right through it and harnessing that and figuring out a way that we could possibly get something done in that, that sector. And if anybody is listening to this that is like, yeah, let's do that. Give me a call. You know, contact us. Go on mnrenewablenow.org and, and find that number and email and let's, let's get it done. But uh, I would say next steps are to really start considering not being limited by the 24 rooftops. Let's let's move up to a 25 or more and let's start our own public utility company. I think that would be really cool. And then also trying to figure out trying to figure out who's going to be running MN Renewable now once I um, you know seek public office because <laughs> uh, you know as much as I want to push and do what we can do outside of the public realm, it would be really great to see. Um, some more public dollars trickle down to the little guys so that we can we can get some more work done and then also you know thinking on a bigger picture like how can we just say you know what this is what we want um we're gonna start our own public utility company and um uh this is what we're gonna do if you're not gonna listen to us and if you're not gonna move fast enough then we're gonna start taking matters in our own hands and um 
and changing over the grid ourselves. Well, thanks for um, yeah, your time today and just sharing about this project, your vision, how you're uh, staying both grounded and inspired and dreaming in these times. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Have All a right. good take, day. You too. Take care, Crystal. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this conversation between Crystal Porter, founder and executive director of MN Renewable Now, and myself, Marie Donahue sustainability storyteller with the clean energy resource teams. As we talked about Crystal's path to working on clean energy topics, some of the current community-based projects she and her team are working on in North Minneapolis, and her advice to work collectively with our friends and neighbors to advance renewable energy throughout Minnesota. We will be sharing more perspectives on these and other topics as we release additional conversations with clean energy leaders in the state in the coming weeks. We hope you stay tuned.